Thank you guys so much for joining us today uh, for the Electables. I'm, I'm Adrian Elrod, and this is um, a very exciting day for my partner in crime, as you always called me, Doug Thornell, and me, because we have Governor Terry McAuliffe on the show today, former Governor Terry McAuliffe, former Democratic Party chair, for lots of former amazing lots, titles. You know, this guy's Strong a true business. rock star in the He party. truly is. So 40 years so with excited. this party, proud of it, too. Very amazing. So we are so grateful, Governor, that you are here with us today. Thank you so much. Um, I want to just go ahead and kick this off. I know you've got some really exciting news. You're releasing a book this summer titled Beyond Charlottesville, Taking a Stand Against White Nationalism. Tell me a little bit about this book and why writing it was so important to you. Well, clearly, if you look a couple momentous times during my governorship, Probably the biggest is when I restored the rights of 206,000 felons, more than any governor in American history, got sued, taken to the Supreme Court of Virginia twice. But the other big, obviously, moment was Charlottesville. And Adrian, it's hard to even talk about being down there and seeing what went on. To have a 1,000 of these folks, many of them with uh, semi-automatic weapons, to march through the streets of Charlottesville, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, wearing swastikas and T-shirts with Adolf Hitler's face on it, screaming the worst things, which I won't even and could not even repeat uh, on this podcast, against the African-American community and members of the Jewish faith. I've never in my life seen anything like it. People used to wear hoods in this country. They used to do it at night. And how we got to a place in America where people don't think they need to wear hoods anymore and they can walk down a city street and scream these types of things against fellow Americans to me was so abhorrent. But I also think it's important, and I don't blame the president of the United States, Donald Trump, for specific acts, but I do blame him for the climate that he has created in this country. The division we have today is something I've never seen before. And I opened the book with my phone conversation with President Trump that day. He called me, obviously, to call the governor of the state. I just declared a state of emergency. Mm -hmm. And I explained to him what was going on and what was happening in our state. And I told him, this is an opportunity for you. President Clinton, as you know, had to deal with the issues of Oklahoma City. President Bush had 9-11. President Obama had Charleston. This is a time you look to your leader for moral leadership. Neo-Nazis, white supremacists, not a hard thing to condemn. Mm -mm. And he said he was going to go out and do the right thing. I said, I'll do my press conference after yours. I waited. An hour and a half went by, and he still hadn't come out. It was surprising because he was going to go right out after I talked to him. Right. And what happened is he came out, and parts of his speech were fine. And then he got into who he is and blamed both sides and said some of these people were good people, neo-Nazis and white supremacists. So I had to go out, and I was very clear. I called them out from who they were. People were not using the word neo-Nazis and white supremacists. I did. I told them to get the hell out of Virginia and get the hell out of America. Yeah. I I said, you prayed around here like you're some kind of – you know, big patriot. You're not. You're a bunch of cowards. Mm -hmm. And I said Virginia will come out in a better place. But it was a really tough day, not only for Virginia, but for America. And the symbol that America showed the world, the hatred, is just something I uh, really found shocking. Yeah, you were applauded by Democrats and Republicans across this country for the way that you handled that, especially in contrast to President Trump. So, I think Doug and I would both like to, again, just applaud you for that and commend yeah. you and, and thank you for that. And, and I'm just surprised. You. I mean, I would think anybody would do what I had done. The president sure. should have done it. And I'll be honest, it was very hard. We'd lost Heather Heyer that day, 32-year-old woman who was protesting against hatred. And it was really tough moments before I walked out to do the press conference. 
I had been informed that uh, Trooper One, which is the state police helicopter that flies the governor around, had crashed. My pilot, who had flown me as governor, Uh. and another pilot who had been on my security detail, who was so close to my family, were both killed. And I was informed literally just as I walked out. So it was, I cannot tell you what a tough day, but I knew I had to, that the world was watching and I had to do the right thing. And you have to condemn hate when you see it. And you don't applaud hate, which is what Donald Trump did that day. That's right. Uh, Governor, how much damage do you think President Trump has done <laughs> to race relations in this country? And whoever is the next president, I feel like there's going to be a lot of fixing that that person's going to need to do. Yeah, and I think, Doug, a huge opportunity. for I, I, The nation wants to heal. I think people, the racial uh, issues that we have in our country today that Trump has created by his rhetoric and the things that he has said, uh, against the African-American community, against the Hispanic community. I mean, you could go the Muslims of how he's attacked them. You know, he started out banning the seven countries, and then they started deporting everybody. And, you know, listen, I dealt with this firsthand, and I yeah. dealt with the president on these issues. I was chairman of the National Governors Association his first year in office, so I represented all the governors meeting with him. I went after him on the seven countries. I mean, I was called up to Dulles Airport. I was tipped off that Virginians had landed at Dulles Airport, U.S. citizens, but they'd flown in from one of those seven countries. They boarded a plane. And when they landed, Doug, they were taken into a holding cell and for five hours were not granted access to legal counsel. These are U.S. citizens, children. So I went up, had a huge press conference and said, I'm the governor. This is my state. This airport's in my state. I'm demanding access these people have the legal counsel, and they got it. But the idea that we held U.S. citizens for five hours without legal counsel, you just can't believe yeah. this happened in America. And then the whole issue of deportation. I met with the president. I talked to him directly. I talked to Secretary Kelly uh, about the deportation. I said, what's your policy? And they said, well, of the 13 million illegal immigrants who are here today, they're all going to stay unless they commit a serious criminal offense. And I think most Americans are fine with that. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's your policy? Yep. I shook hands. A week later in Virginia, as you know, a woman was stopped for a broken taillight, and they started deportation hearings. So what I did as governor is I pardoned her. I I took away the underlying crime, so therefore you didn't have a crime for uh, Customs and Border Patrol and ICE agents to deport her. It didn't stop them. And I think if you remember a famous picture in the Washington Post of this woman being taken away in a white van and the two little children hanging onto the windows outside. So Uh. they took the children away from her. They deported this woman. So I've had a whole history of dealing with this president. It's as bad as it's ever been. It's shameful. Uh, The attacks on the African-American community. I mean, you think of the things he has said about individuals like Maxine Waters and others. It's a disgrace. You are the president of the United States. Your job is to bring folks together, not divide us. We are stronger when we are unified. But it's not only here in America. Look what he's done in Europe. Look what he's done to NATO all of our allies who we have had forever. This is his modus operandi, dividing people. The only person he seems to fully support is uh, Vladimir Putin. Right. In his pocket. And um, I'll never forget Helsinki. He went over there and kowtowed. Listen, he kowtowed to Putin. He is our enemy. Let's be clear. He, North Korea, he went over there. This is a brutal dictator. He got the photo op he wanted at the last meeting. They didn't, Kim Jong-un did not do anything. Right. Then he goes back over there again, and guess what? Nothing happens. You do not have the president meet with a brutal, progressive leader like Kim Jong-un or 
Putin and put him on the world stage unless you're getting something back. For being such a great negotiator, he's the worst I've ever seen. I'd yeah. rather have my children go out and negotiate. And, this and guy. All it did was just put a give uh, Kim Jong Un a, a greater platform. Of course, someone sure. le- tried to you know legitimize. I think that's what uh, North Korea wanted was legitimacy yeah. in the global and, and community. And I'm sick to my stomach what he said that on Otto Warmbier, who was murdered, murdered. This was a UVA student. I remember that. And. I talked to the parents through the process because I was governor and obviously University of Virginia student. <clears throat> I talked to the father the day after Otto died here. And I, to have the father describe to me the condition that Otto was in, his teeth had been pulled out with pliers. I can go through all the things. And for the idea that Kim Jong-un said, and Trump said he believed him, that he didn't know about this, this is a U.S. citizen in North Korea detention. You don't think this guy knows exactly what's happening? It's like the same thing with Saudi Arabia. Same thing with Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and Russia. Yeah. He doesn't, I mean, the fact that the President of the United States doesn't even trust his own intelligence community, I think, yeah. in and of itself is terrifying. But to let the guy off the hook, they brutally tortured Otto Warmbier. He's a what, 20, 21-year-old University of Virginia. Tortured him. Tortured him. And the president of the United States says, oh, I believe when he says he didn't know about it. There is nothing that happens in North Korea. Right. And clearly not. with a U.S. citizen, high visibility with all of us, Secretary of State, everybody on TV saying, please release Otto. And this guy doesn't know how he's being treated. Come on. Yeah. Wait, nobody will. I mean, nobody, nobody believes, believes that. that. No one believes that. Yeah. Um, so, Governor, I really want, I want to get back to your book really quickly. Um, is there any particular passage in the book? I know you're obviously waiting until the book yeah, is released, sure. but anything in particular that you want to highlight today to our listeners, um, you know, that that was really important for you to include in the book? Well, it's important. Listen, this is an important book. I open up with my conversation with the president and I deal with the issues. I talk a lot about racism in this mm-hmm. country. I talk about Virginia's horrible history that we've had uh, right. on the issues of race. And I highlight those issues. The later part of the book, and I talk about all the mechanics. You know, I've been, listen, I knew early on FBI, DHS had briefed us that these people were told to come to, to come armed and to hurt people. We knew that ahead of time and the mm-hmm. preparations that we'd made. And I think people will find it fascinating, the process that we went through to prepare for these folks coming in. But, you know, there's a lesson in this. Um, the city of Charlottesville early on had said they wanted to be the center of resistance to Trump. It's probably not a smart thing to do. You want to be known as a city, as the center of technology and innovation. And the second they did that, guess what happened? These folks went out and got a permit to say they were going to come in and, you know, protest in Charlottesville, Virginia. Supposedly around the Robert E. Lee statue. (laughs) These folks didn't even know who the heck Robert (laughs) E. Lee was. This was about hatred and an opportunity to spew. Neo-Nazis did not care about Robert E. Lee on his Mm. horse, Traveler. They didn't. They wanted to come in and spew hate. And I talk about that, which, and then I say, where do we go as a nation going forward? We have to deal with this issue because we are as divided as we have ever been. And if we're going to be successful as a country, you know, as governor, listen, I leaned in every day to bring people together. I had a very Republican legislature, but I had to work with them. At the end of the day, citizens want your elected officials to get things done and to bring people together. That's how we are strong. I'm very concerned about where we are as a nation today. I think our economy is going to really hit the skids and have some trouble beginning in 2020. You know, you're going to probably have a hard Brexit. Yeah. Uh, that's going to begin to see economic conditions affected all over the globe. 
I'm sure he'll do something with China on the deal. I'm sure it will be just like North Korea. I have no faith that it's going to be a strong deal. I think his tariff policy has been horrible. I have farmers in my state of Virginia who are going bankrupt, soybean farmers. The Midwest is getting clobbered because of the tariffs. The, right. You know, everything he does, uh, he's not moving America forward. And we just got to get – and he's lied. What is it? How many times? Washington Post report? 8,000 times, I think. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I think and I didn't was... see any of those Republicans in the hearing saying anything about that. They're attacking Michael Cohen, who's trying to get oh, some redemption. quite something yesterday, yeah. right? Yeah, it I've never seen anything something. like that. Yeah. Just a vitriolic hatred. Um, and listen, you know, the opposition is going to do it, but the way, the level that they took it to, this guy obviously had made a lot of mistakes, was trying to redeem himself, and he brought supporting evidence. That's the only, you know, he, right. he brought evidence with him. There was a check signed by the president while he was in office right. to pay off a professional porn star mm-hmm. to hide a relationship. I yep. mean, come on, what are you dealing with here? Well, it was all a distraction by the Republicans, right? They didn't want to actually deal with the underlying facts. They yeah. wanted to lean into whether, you know, his credibility and um, to sort of distract away from what he was actually saying, which has, of course. Which, which was backed by the, you know, the Southern District of New York. Um, so, and of well, course, he was also there by there. choice. What's that? He was there by choice yesterday. He, was there by... he didn't have to be there. That's right. Uh, that's right. He chose to testify. Yeah. And I tell you, Elijah Cummings' summation at the mm-hmm. end was one of the best I've ever heard yeah. about what has gone wrong, what has Beautiful. happened to this country. I mean, he was spectacular. Yeah, Chairman Cummings is one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, So you were arguably, probably the best governor in Virginia. Yeah, forget that. Not arguably. Patrick (laughs) Henry who started the America. Yeah. But certainly in my time. And and I'm a Maryland guy, and you know there's a healthy rivalry between the two states. We're eight and a half million people, Doug. I think Maryland is 5.5. I mean, you guys, come on, a little suburb of Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I do love Maryland. I love their crabs. Crabs. Old Bay. But can I make an – you should should know this as being Mm -hmm. a Marylander. Yeah. Where was every Maryland crab born? Probably in Virginia. They were. Every single one of them. And then the current takes them up. Did you know that? I did not know that. I'd actually, I was out with MIMS, which is our big scientific study. And I was out uh, on one of our rivers. We were augering 400 million years down to bring up some oyster shells so that the spat could attach. And the the scientist says, and I said to the scientist, we got to do for Virginia oysters like Maryland has really done for their crab business. And he said, well, governor, you do know that every Maryland crab was in Virginia born. I said, that can't be true. He said, I swear to you. I said, are you sure? He said, yeah. The next day I was on WTOP doing my monthly Ask the Governor, and I laid that out. Oh, my goodness. You would have thought I burned the capital of Annapolis <laughs> down. Yeah. Three, four stories in the Baltimore Sun. I made the Washington Post. Did you get fact-checked? <laughs> you bet. It's probably the only time I was fact-checked correct. <laughs> it, it, it's true. But I'll give Governor Hogan uh, credit. He had a great line when it was found out that I was telling the truth on this. He said, well, they may be born in Virginia, but when they come to their senses, they move to Maryland, which was a, was a pretty good comeback. That is a good comeback. Yeah, so you should know that. Okay, good to know. I'm just curious. You did a lot of things for the state of Virginia, yep. uh, jobs, economic yep. development. Yep. Um, what's, your, what's your sort of most proudest achievement? Well, I think yeah, a couple things. Number one, I ran on jobs, economic, because without – Good economic growth, you don't have anything. You don't have money to invest in schools and health care and fix your roads. When I took office, I inherited a two and a, almost $2.5 billion debt that I faced. I didn't know it when I ran. I left office with one of the biggest surpluses in the history of the state. Unemployment went from 5.4 to 3.6. 
created hundreds of thousands there was a of Republican new jobs. before you too, right? Yeah, Bob yeah, McDonald. That's right. And twenty billion of new capital, which was about seven billion more than any governor. That was my whole thing. I, I want to go and create high-paying jobs. Personal income, Doug, went up twelve and a half percent in my four years. So I leaned in. We became the number one state in America for cybersecurity, data analytics, unmanned systems, all those twenty-first century businesses. I wrote the bid package to win Amazon before I left office. I recruited Nestle to move out of LA to come to to Virginia. Why? Virginia's a big defense state, number one in America, and we got clobbered during sequestration. Mm -hmm. So I had to build a new economy. To the point when I left office, we had so many high-paying jobs, we couldn't fill. I had 48,000 cyber jobs starting pay $88,000 open in Virginia. And that's why I put a billion dollars into K-12, the largest investment ever. Virginia's now the only state. We teach cybersecurity beginning in kindergarten. Computational wow. thought process, critical reasoning, all core curriculum in Virginia, best education system. I put $10 billion into roads. I got hundreds of thousands of people signed up for health care through the marketplace. I, thousands of pregnant women got dental care for their first time. I was the most progressive governor. Um, you know, let's be honest. Before I took office, Virginia had passed the transvaginal bill, which was a disgrace to the Commonwealth of Virginia. Rachel Maddow mm-hmm. used to talk about us every night. They passed the trap laws to shut all 27 <laughs> women's clinics down. I stopped all that. Mm-hmm. All the anti-gay legislation, I stopped it. I had 120 vetoes, the most of any governor of Virginia history, and I never lost one. So guess what? Virginia, open, welcoming, and a booming economy. That's how you're successful. Right. And that's hopefully will be my legacy. But clearly, my single biggest issue was the restoration of 206,000 felons Virginia in 1902, a state senator by the name of Glass put it in our Constitution. And he said that day, I'm doing this to eliminate the darky from being a political factor in Virginia. That was his quote, 1902. Well, guess what? 114 years later, new sheriff in town. Yeah. And I got to eliminate that with the stroke of a pen. As you know, the Republican speakers and Senate leaders sued me, took me to the Virginia court, Supreme Court which are appointed by the plaintiffs, which is not, as we call that a home game. First time they ruled against me and said I didn't have the authority. Are you kidding me? I had the leading uh, constitutional scholar advising me. And the court came out and said, no, we're not going to let him do it. Why? No governor's done it before. Well, that's not a constitutional theory. No, it's not. So they said he has to do it individually. I said, fine. I told my staff, get all 206,000 petitions. We're going out front to the Civil Rights Memorial and bring a box of pens, I'm going to sign every damn one of those myself. I don't care if it takes me 72 straight hours. We're going to do it. So we got that set up. Boom. Guess what happened? Boom is right. They sued me for contempt of court. First governor to be sued. I <laughs> Proudly. I loved it. Proudly sued. And they said no. And by this time, the New York Times, Washington Times, LA, all the editorial pages were criticizing the court. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had the authority. Yep. And they said, no, he's doing it right this time. He's doing it individually. I, it was, there was no difference. So we, we sign out 206,000. This is the great part. This is why Republicans always sort of screw themselves. Mm-hmm. I kept telling them, quit attacking these people. Go earn the right to vote. Since I was court-ordered to do it individually, I ran them all through the auto pen, beautiful parchment with my signature and the seal of the Commonwealth, put it in a big manila, manila envelope, mailed it to everybody with a voter registration form, and a stamp self-addressed envelope to mail them back to the registrar. So <laughs> that's great. They screwed themselves. <laughs> yeah. Because when I did the initial announcement, I don't know how many felons are watching TV or read the paper. Now they got it. And at the end of the day, 
This is about giving people second chances. And right. like 40 states, Doug, it's automatic. Right. Automatic. There's no governor involved. But you would have thought I was the first person in America to do this. Right. I was just trying to, it's mostly the southern states, it's old Jim Crow laws, mm-hmm. to end a horrible racial inequality that had started because of a state senator by the name of Glass. Yeah. And we saw in Florida this past election, they've through a referendum. So you started a, a, referendum. a trend there yeah. because Florida just passed that too, which I which hope will make a big difference in 2020. But Adrian, people have a judge and jury determine what a sentence may be for whatever crime you were convicted of. Mm-hmm. Once you're done with that, guess what? You ought to be back in society. I want you getting a job. I want you paying taxes. Why would you permanently disenfranchise people for the rest of their lives? Well, well because we you know- don't want them to vote. Right. You don't want them to vote. And especially when we, we know right. through criminal justice reform that a lot of people who are in, in jail right now or imprisoned are for small, petty crimes that, they, that have non-violent. literally nonviolent that are literally the system is set up for them to literally ruin their lives. So I right. applaud you for making yep. that big step because being able yep. to vote is a fundamental aspect of being an American. And you know right. what the felony threshold in Virginia was? $200. So if you steal an iPhone in Virginia, $200, you are a felon. And you lose your voting rights for the rest of your life. I mean, think about it's that. It's just not that's right. That's crazy. Crazy. That's crazy. No, well, that's what I was dealing with. And, you know, listen, we stopped all that. People were back and franchised. We're open and welcoming. I kept all my women's clinics open. I actually opened more. And, you know, that's what people wanted. I, I provided health care for everybody. And we gave them jobs, high-paying jobs, and fixed the roads. And that's why right. you had such a high approval rating. Right. And you built a little record for yourself in yeah. case you, uh, you know, decide to move forward into 2020. So speaking of that, any further thoughts on are you going to run? Are you thinking about running? Yeah. Well, what I've said is, listen, I want to do it through March 31st, figure out what we're doing. This is a hard, tough decision that you have to make. I do believe, though, Adrian, that we need somebody in the race. I like governors because at the end of the day, governors have records. We just don't talk. We don't yep. have filibusters. I got a record. I can tell you exactly how many jobs I've created. I can tell you exactly how much I put into education, how much I put into roads. We built roads. We clean roads. And I think that's important. We're very results-oriented. I think we have to have, as our nominee, a proven job creator. Mm-hmm. We need someone who understands and has actually invested in education. I mean, we were the first state in America. I did a workforce performance development grant. And, you know, some people have talked about free college. And, and listen, I've been very clear on this. And I come as a governor saying this. Free college is not the answer. The Democratic Party should not be supporting paying for Terry McAuliffe's five children to go to college. I can afford that myself. Or Ivanka Trump's children. Or Right. We right. shouldn't. But what we ought to do, like we did in Virginia, I had so many open jobs. If you go to the community college or you get one of my 166 credentials, that's what we'll do for you. We'll pay for you to get the credential, and I'll move you right into the workforce. Yeah. That's what we need to be doing because we have a lot of open jobs, but we don't have the skills today right. to match them. That's mm-hmm. the discussion mm-hmm. I hope we have. And I'm just worried that everybody's going to make all these big glittery object promises that have no relation to reality. The idea that everybody's going to get a guaranteed federal job for $15? No. Crazy. No. It's just – but – we need an honest discussion, and I just say, as we ought to have governors, I, I think a Southern governor, for a while I was the yeah. only Democrat in the South statewide. Mm-hmm. Um, but listen, I lean in on these issues, and I love it. You know, when I ran, Adrian, as you remember, when I ran for governor, mm-hmm. it was a courageous thing in the sense that 
I'm the first nominee of the Democratic Party in Virginia gubernatorial to get an F rating from the NRA. <laughs> and I was proud of it. I ran television and ads. And you talked with about it, it right? You didn't hide from it. Every single day. I was the first statewide or elected <laughs> official, I believe, in the South to come out for marriage equality. That was a big deal in Virginia. Sure. And I told women I'd be a brick wall to protect their rights. I talked about the issues of abortion and other issues, which traditionally people shied away from. I lean in. These are the things I believe in. And if you don't like what I'm saying, don't vote for me. And I'm fine with that. But too many politicians, you know, I don't sit around and take polls and do focus groups. I've always laughed at these focus groups. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, 20 people sitting around a room, they're there because they get free Oreo cookies. And they're going to tell you how you should. <laughs> M&M's too. Yeah. I mean, think of it. You're Maybe gonna some add, orange juice. I know who I am. And I'm going to say it. I'm very authentic. And if you don't like it, guess what? You don't vote. And I'm okay with that. But yeah. too many people today are poll testing and focus. Who cares what is in your heart? I restored those felon rights because that is something that was critical to me. As chairman of the DNC, I founded the Voting Rights Institute in mm-hmm. 2002. Mm-hmm. This is something I've been passionate about. So we're going through the process. Uh, we've talked to the family and uh-huh. you know, I have five kids. For a couple of them, be honest with you, this is probably not their favorite thing to do for their dad. But, right. you know, that's all... Uh, you know, I had my youngest say to me, it was pretty funny. He said, ah, Dad, I don't want to be involved. I don't want all that Secret Service stuff. You know, he's 16. I said, right. well, you got a long way to go to have Secret <laughs> Service. But, you know, I used to laugh when I was governor. You know, the state police drive your kids to school. So Peter used to have the state police drop him off a block from his school um, so he could walk up. He didn't like the big black car it's coming embarrassed in. Embarrassed by it. He didn't mm-hmm. do it. Now, my daughter, who was a junior and senior in high school, she'd go in and tell him to turn the lights and sirens on. So... <laughs> <laughs> Kids are all different, you know. Oh, that's um, so great. Governor, I wanted to ask you, you're like Adrian and I, you were at one point a staffer, you were behind the scenes, um, and then you made the decision to be the principal. Yeah, I don't know if I candidate. was ever behind scenes, but well, I got Right, it. exactly. But um, <laughs> but you were, you yeah. became a candidate. And yeah. um, I'm just interested in that transition and how you, you know, how you made that decision. Yeah. Uh, because it's a, it's a big jump. Yeah, listen, I always wanted to run for office. I've had such a fascinating, if I don't do anything else, I still have had a very fascinating life. I grew up in Syracuse, New York. I started my first business when I was 14. I had to if I was going to pay for college. Uh, became a successful, started driveway ceilings, started you know putting in parking lots. I went out and got a truck when I was 15. Full disclosure, I didn't even have a driver's license yet. I was an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You know, was involved in a lot of different things. And I was the youngest bank chairman in American history. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've started dozens of companies. Some work, some don't, but I like it that way. I mean, I love the entrepreneurial spirit. I've never worked for anyone. I'd rather sink or rise by myself. It's just my personality, but I always loved politics. Um, You know, and I've, you know, got pulled into one job after another. And I always did it as a volunteer. You know, I'm the first chairman of the DNC, didn't take a paycheck. And did the, I did everything for free because I'd been successful in business and I could go and do it for free. I loved it, loved every moment, but I always wanted to run. But, you know, I things started coming up one thing after another. I, you know, I, I love the Clintons. I've spent a lot of time, mm-hmm. most expensive friends I've ever had. I'll be very <laughs> honest with you at the end of the day. But chairing conventions and chairing inaugurals and chairing camp, presidential campaigns, and I love it. I get in. I'm passionate about what I do. So when the opportunity did come up, I jumped at it. Into the first time I really, you know, I had to chair Hillary's 08. I couldn't do that. And then opening opportunity to run for Virginia governor in 2009, I jumped at it. 
And I'll be honest with you, Doug, it was a very audacious move. Most people did not know I lived in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Right. When I campaigned, they say, oh, I used to see you on TV. I didn't know you lived here. <laughs> well, you know, Virginia governor, they're very proud of the, you know, as I say, Patrick Henry and Thomas Jefferson right. and others. Uh, but I ran, I loved it. I ran on big ideas and led most of the way in the primaries. And then the Post came out and endorsed one of my opponents. And that was pretty much it. And I came in a distant second. I think most people probably figured I'd pick up my marbles and that was it. I didn't. I got out of bed the next day and I spent four years going to every nook and cranny of Virginia. And I'll be honest with you, when I ran in 09, there are a lot of cities I'd never even heard of. Right. So for four years, I went everywhere, went on a list, listened. I filled up books and books of ideas to the point in 13, I didn't even have a primary opponent. I pretty much cleared the field. And then I ran against uh, Ken Cuccinelli, who was the attorney general. Very extreme. You know, actually said it Very should be a crime extreme. to be gay. Right. You know, all kinds of crazy stuff. And we won that. And I broke a 44-year trend. Whoever, you know, the, the, the Virginia governor is always after the presidential race. Virginia governor, New Jersey governor, mayor of New York are the three big races. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for 40, over 40 years, whoever wins the White House, the other party wins the governor's mansion. So, but President Obama won in 12 and I won in 13. Broke a 44-year right. trend. That was a huge victory. That huge, huge victory. And change, and listen, it, and I had a lot of great help and... But we changed the state where we had been a laughingstock on women's issues and had race issues and all that. Every time I left office, man, we were cranking. We were considered one of the best states in America. I, I got named public official of the year in America by Governing Magazine. I mean, it all worked. But I went in at a Republican legislature. I'm a lot of fun. I said, I want to work with you. I got big ideas. And, you know, they worked with me on most stuff. Mm-hmm. Social issues, we disagreed, which is fine. But none of this is personal. Right. What's happened to politics? You and I can disagree, but you know what? Doesn't mean you and I can't be friends. Right. I mean, I'll be honest. Say it on the podcast. I have a lot of Republican friends. That's okay. We disagree on policy, but there's no reason that I should hate you. Right. And I just don't know where we've gotten to this place in America. that It's, it's red, blue. You're over here in your corners. You can't be successful in life. You can't be successful in business. If you don't come to the table and compromise. And that's why nothing gets done. Nothing gets done. And that's why we got it done in Virginia. Right. Yeah. And it's awful. Well, and Governor, I was going to say, speaking of, you know, how you left office, you obviously transformed the state. You turned it into a solid blue state. Um, Is it hard watching what's happening now in the governor's office? And frankly, the the ticket, right, with Governor Northam and Lieutenant Governor Fairfax, like, what are your feelings? I know you've spoken a lot about this, but what are your feelings, especially watching all the hard work that you put in as yeah. governor into making the state into what it is today and then seeing what's happening now? Heartsick would be an understatement. I almost find it hard to believe because when we left office, we had gone from red to blue. Mm-hmm. Under my term, we'd picked up 17 House of Delegates. That was the most in 144 years. Incredible. The state was cranking. And we were going to be blue forever. I mean, we had built a solid base, uh, had a great party. I, you know, as governor, I financed the party. Susan Schwecker was our chair, but, it, mm-hmm. you know, had financed the party because I believe that was part of my responsibility. We built a strong, strong, and we were going to win both the House and the Senate this year. We right. only needed one seat. I still think we will because we're going to have new fair maps, but to see what's happened to that beautiful state and, and the thing, because I go back to my point always. I love job creation. I think it's the most important thing. And you ought to question every candidate who wants to run for president or for governor. Because if you don't have strong job growth, guess what? Nothing else matters. falls apart. Because you don't have money to invest in anything else. So if you don't have someone and hold them accountable. 
And guess what? Businesses don't like controversy. I was very proud under my term as governor. I mean, I can tell you this. Amazon, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Salesforce, they are not coming to a state that discriminates women's or African, anybody. Of course. You got to be open. You got to be welcoming. And you treat everybody with dignity and respect. And we'll get through it, but it's, you know, it's not helpful. I can tell you this is, you know, listen, I was the most traveled governor in America, no surprise. I did mm-hmm. 35 trade missions. I went to five continents recruiting businesses to come back. Right. And my argument is great state, great education system, uh, low taxes, business friendly. Let's do it. And we want it all. And today, I mean, look what look what North Carolina went through with HB2. They lost about $3.63 billion. That's right. I got CoStar to move to Richmond because of HB2 in North Carolina. This is a huge company. I think we got 1,100 jobs moved to Richmond, Virginia. They were going to North Carolina. North Carolina's incentive package was three times that of Virginia. Think of that, three times. Wow. And we got them because of the HB2 anti-gay legislation. So, yeah, I am distressed by this, and, you know, I'm going to have to lean in. Yeah. Which I didn't really plan on doing. Sure, sure. (laughs) I might have had other things, but I love the state, and I've worked hard, and we've got a lot of great, you know, members of the General Assembly who I'm personally close to. So, you know, I'm probably going to have to do more campaigning and help them do what they need to do, but it matters. Well, that's what you're very good at. Yeah, I enjoy it. And I do enjoy it. You only live once. Right. (laughs) I mean, you (laughs) got to have fun. you got to have fun every day. I have fun every day. I get out of bed. I have fun. I always say, if you're not having fun, you shouldn't be doing it. That's right. You only live once. Go for the gusto. Shoot for the moon every single day. Sleep when you're dead. Right. Stay right. positive. This is why yeah. we need Terry's energy yeah. in the 2020 Adrian presidential McTumney, primary. Lemon right. suckers in politics. Yes, Honestly, do. just drives you nuts. Saw a right. lot of them yesterday during the Cohen hearing. Woo! Boy. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. 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 Governor, the first time I had ever heard your name was in... Uh, 2000, I was uh, working on the Gore campaign. I was an organizer in Missouri, and I remember the story about how you had By the been... way, we say Missouri in Arkansas. <laughs> okay, I know. We've, this is the third time yeah. we've done this. Um, so, uh, Missouri. Thank you. Okay. Um, so, the, and I, the story was, at the time, uh, that was that, you know, uh, you had been called in yep. to rescue the Los Angeles convention, the DNC convention in 2000. And um, that's the first time I had heard of you. And then, uh, obviously, since then, you've made you, you know you did a lot of stuff before that. You were the most prolific Democratic yep. fundraiser yep. at that time. You were my age at the time, which yeah. I, makes me feel terrible. Jimmy Carter's finance, national finance director, 20, twenty-two. Twenty-two. That's incredible. Had never done it before. But tell me about just take us. Yeah. T- tell me about the story about the convention because I feel like a lot of people don't know. I mean, that it had been in. It was sort of in bad shape at the time, right, when you took it over. Oh, my goodness. So it's a great story, Doug, because – and listen, as I say, I do this all for free. I'm a volunteer, but I love to get in and engage. So I chaired a big event for Vice President Gore. We honored the Clintons in 2000, and the money went for Vice President Gore for his campaign. We did it at the MCI Arena called the Blue Jean Bash. Yep. I brought up uh, barbecue from Arkansas and barbecue from Tennessee – Everybody wore blue jeans, and we had all this great entertainment at it. And we raised $26.3 million. I believe it's the single largest event ever done. But it was a hoot. I mean, we, oh, my goodness. We had so, with Darius Rucker, Leanne Rams, and I'd call people, got to come. And I'd list all 20. And we got Sammy Davis Jr. coming. And (laughs) they said, well, I'll come to that. He's been dead for quite a few years. But, I mean, I got into it. We had a lot of fun with this thing. So the next day... 
I'm back in my office, and, I, and my uh, assistant comes in and says, Air Force Two, the vice president would like to talk to you. Great. I think, of course. Now, vice, uh, President Clinton had just nominated me to be the ambassador to the court of St. James to go to England, which I was very excited. I had done my deal for years and years. You were ready it for was this. T- yeah, I was yep. ready. Dorothy was fired up. They have the five kids, the two dogs. Would have been spectacular. The second Irishman ever. Yep. <laughs> Joe Kennedy being the first. I was ready to go. The vice president thanks me very quickly for the $26.3 million. And then he says, and second, I really need you to go out to L.A. to take over and become chairman of the convention. I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't. I don't know if the vice president knew that the president had Silence. already nominated me to go to England. Yeah. How do you say no to the nominee of the Democratic Party, the vice president of the United States? And like a total chicken, I said, yeah, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> Uh, went home and told Dorothy, she, to this day, she's still angry about that, so we don't bring this up to my wife. And what had happened is, Doug, is the city and the folks involved in the bid all reneged on their financial commitments to the right. point the electricians would not go into the Staples Arena. We had a convention to put on, and they couldn't afford it. So I moved out to L.A. and literally put the money together pretty quickly, right. you know. But it was a pretty funny story. There were four individuals who had million-dollar lines of credit, including the mayor. And I went to see all of them and said, listen, we got to come up with this. I don't know. We got to come up with 10, 12 million bucks. And, you know, you got to really help me or I'm going to have to call your letter as a credit. In. And they said, you can't do that. You can't call the mayor's letter of credit. I said, let me explain to you what a letter of credit is. But I said, I'm a good guy. I want to work with you. But we got to get this done. I got a convention to put on for Al Gore. We got to nominate him and got to elect him president of the United States. Well, a month went by, and guess what? They didn't do anything. So I called them all at noon and said, at 2 o'clock, I'm calling all your lines of credit in. It's $4 million. <laughs> Needless to say, and I'm a good guy. I, I mean, I gave notice, but I had to do what I had <laughs> to do. You got to so do what you got to do. Poor Dick Reardon, the mayor, and uh, Ed Roski, and you know a whole bunch of them, uh, Eli Brode and some others. Uh, I got there. I had to call on their lines of credit. Anyways, we had a great convention for Gore. Came roaring out of that convention, the Staples Arena in L.A. It was really spectacular. But... Then I figured, what the heck? I'll let Gore send me over to England. I'll wait. Then we got in the recount. I kept taking my suitcase down, kept putting it back in the closet, oh, kept taking it down. And then the Supreme Court did was literally, you know, I can't say the worst. We've had some bad ones, Dred Scott right. and others. But one of the worst opinions in the history of the Supreme Boy. Court, we are going to stop counting. We are going to stop counting of votes. Never in the history of our country have we seen anything like it. On nope. a five to four decision, they stole the election from Gore. Yep. And that's all the more reason why people need to come out and vote for president and for the yep. Senate, because the Supreme Court is so important. I think yep. you know, we're seeing the impact that this current Supreme Court is having on laws in this country, yep. and we need to— you know, we need to have justices that yep. are actually <laughs> current and not living in the past. And, and one thing, remember, so in 2016, Doug, 92 million Americans did not vote. Yep. 92 million people who had the right to vote chose not to come out. Are you kidding me? And Hillary lost three states, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, by a combined total of 77,000 votes. And they all woke up the next day and said, holy cow, right. how did this possibly happen? Whoops. Whoops. Yeah, and yeah. she's made it very clear that she she has no sympathy, really, for people who come up to her, especially women who come up to her and say, I'm so sorry I didn't vote or I, you know, right. I didn't get around to it. Like, how, what can you do to make me feel better? And she makes yeah. it pretty gosh darn clear that she's disappointed sickening. that it's sickening. People have that fought and died in this country for the right to vote. I mean, people today are fighting. I got a son who's a Marine, just got back from Iraq. 
We have people putting their lives on the line every single day for this great democracy, and you can't go vote on election day for president? Yeah. Or vote before. There's a lot of different ways you can vote, right? Like, like many opportunities. You got no right to complain. No right to complain. Um, So, Governor, I want to ask you one more question about something that's a very uh, current event here. Um, New York infamously lost, New York City lost the uh, Amazon deal recently. Um, Obviously, Virginia (laughs) uh, secured Amazon. Amazon is going to be in Crystal City and some other parts of Northern Virginia. Uh, They're starting to build space now. Any thoughts on that? Like, what, what do you think happened with New York? It's a good question, and I am absolutely baffled. Do you understand this was the largest economic incentive project in New York history? 25,000 jobs mm-hmm. at a minimum salary of $150,000 wow. in Long Island City is transformative. It's generational, mm-hmm. Andrea change for families, for families for years to come. Right. And they blew it. And over the 25 years, the state and city would have netted $27.3 billion. Amazing. Netted it. Their $3 billion package they put up, 90% of it was from two funds that would have gone to any company who came in and guaranteed those jobs. Had nothing to do with Amazon. Yeah. But they so screwed it up. People ought to be thrown out of office for this. Like Mayor de Blasio? Well, somebody needs to pay it, a mm-hmm. price for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you kidding? This is the largest economic deal in the history of New York. They had it, and they lost. 238 cities bid on this. We want it in Virginia. It's going to be transformational and you for are, us. And you are a huge part of making that happen. Well, I submitted the bid, and mm-hmm. we got it all going. And the idea, that, I'm angry because we had 10 cities bidding. Right. I would have liked to have had the whole thing. Yeah. And they split it up in New York. And I think now they've decided they're just going to do Virginia and add some more jobs to Nashville. I think, But can you imagine this? Because of politicians fighting, you should have worked this out before you put the bid in, or maybe you shouldn't have bid and let these other cities in America. I would love Richmond or Virginia Beach to get another piece of it. There are cities that this would have transformed them, moving people out of poverty, moving them into $150,000. The Long Island City. Which you would know, have been transformative. Would have been incredible and they for them. 11,000 union jobs lost for the construction, wow. lost, gone, and tens of thousands of indirect jobs. I mean, I am, I am beside myself. I'm angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, not for Virginia because we did fine, but I feel bad for all those cities in America that worked their heart out to get this, and it would have moved so many people out of poverty in certain cities. And New York blew it, and it's disgusting. Do you think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's comments at all, I mean, she applauded the fact that Amazon didn't come in. Um, Do you think that that had any bearing, or do you think that maybe a better way to say this is that wing of the party, that super, you know, progressive wing that is resistant to any sort of corporate influence, any sort of corporate uh, corporations coming in and really trying to, to, to change a community, do you think that had any sort of bearing, or do you think this was more... Just your typical New York City politics. People can't <laughs> yeah. quite get it yeah. together. Well, first of all, I'm a fan of AOCs. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so so am I. I love young people coming in, yeah. putting big bold ideas. I'm, mm-hmm. I think it's great. Big influence. And people say, well, you know, this. Forget it. Put big bold ideas. Some work, some don't. You know, I've had big bold ideas, so I'm I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why she ruffles the feathers of so many. She's <laughs> young and got some great ideas, and the more young people we have, the better. 
the problem in New York is I think a lot of the folks didn't understand the deal itself. And I don't think you ought to actually criticize the deal that you knew it because New York wasn't going to lose any money. They were going to net $27.3 billion, which right. at $27.3 billion, you know what that would have done for teacher pay raises? New school construction, new roads, mm-hmm. health care. So New York's lost that $27.3 billion, but the real is this three-board commission, and they appointed this senator from the area who was opposed to the, it was originally for the deal. Then he came out against the deal, and I guess you needed unanimous of the three. Right. I feel bad for Governor Cuomo, um, but they should have had all this worked out ahead of time. Sure. If you had this three-person commission, you should have had that done. Don't waste our time and bid it. We probably would have gotten the whole deal in Virginia. Well, there was also like a, a confusion, I think, among some people that the tax incentive package right. that went to Amazon that would would have gone to Amazon could it, could it have been used money. It was like money sitting around that could nope. have been used for something else. And nope. there seems to be a fundamental understanding of how That's economic right. development. And people works. should know yeah. that not a people should all that. that money was after the tax revenue had been paid. Correct. The twenty-seven point three billion dollars. The three billion would have been back, and as I say, you would have got uh, nine times your money back. Nine times your money back. So no money was really, you know. There's, I think there was five hundred million for transportation projects early on. On our bid in Virginia, I was very proud. And as I say, we submitted the bid in October before I left office. Uh, no money goes out. Not a penny goes out until we have the returns. In fact, most of the money there's a four-year hiatus, so it goes out and then. So we're not at risk at all in the Commonwealth of Virginia. It was a good, smart bid that we put in. And But the other thing is we had our communities working together. Mm-hmm. Before I did this, you know, I reached out. I spoke personally to every mayor and every county executive. You want in? I hired McKinsey, which was cost a couple million bucks. I put up a million. And, but I said <laughs> to the local communities, no, 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 you got to have some vig on the table yourself. I made them. If you want to be in, you have to put money up. So I made everybody early on. Then we reached out to our universities, and there's a billion-dollar innovation technology center by Virginia Tech. I mean, we had a really great, unique bid, and that's that's how you do it. And we we as Democrats here, you know, you got to understand. And I lean in hard on the economy. High-paying wage growth is important. None of this other stuff matters if you do not have that. So just understand the projects beforehand, right. but. You know, you got to get out there. You got to bring these businesses. Is they're going to Amazon was going to go somewhere. Yep. And you got to understand that. One last question. I know you have to go. Washington Redskins. Where are they going to end up? Where is their stadium going to end up? Are you guys going to take the Redskins from Maryland? Do you think? (laughs) Do you think (laughs) this is very important to Doug? This is very important. Do you think they stay in Maryland? Do you think the DC can can uh, persuade them to come come back to the city? It's a good question, and I was very active involved in this. What I had always told Dan Snyder and Bruce and everybody else with the Redskin, Dwight Shar, we'd love to have you in Virginia. You know, we're going to be the 10th biggest state in America in the next decade of, you know, eight and a half million headed to 10 million people. We are the largest state without any professional team. But the only way we can do it is no taxpayer money. You cannot be giving taxpayer dollars to billionaires. Now, you could, the new LA stadium is, you know, being built, mm-hmm. that has no city or state incentives at all. But you got some development rights around it. You allow them to build around it with shopping centers and other things. And we have plenty of land for that. So I've always made the point to them, no taxpayer dollars. You know, it has to be a moneymaker for the Commonwealth of Virginia. My guesstimate is I think they their preference today would be to go to the old RFK site. 
However, they needed to get this issue of the land lease resolved with the federal government, which they did not did get not. done. The it was Congress. in a bill right. that they had that they had to get passed. And when Trump did the shutdown, Got that it. killed it. Right. So that's that is is now off the table. Uh, Governor Hogan took that other piece off in Prince George's County. So my guesstimate today, unless DC can come up with something very creative, is that they are going to stay there uh, in Landover, Maryland, which is actually one of the worst stadiums in the NFL. Yeah, it's it's the worst. Uh, Nobody enjoys going. It takes you forever. You can't you get know, in. You, you can't don't... get out. The beers are expensive. Yeah, I keep telling these NFL. Owners I gave them my I season them. tickets. I just I Did just decided. Me and my you. brother had just decided two days ago to give yeah. them up because yeah. it's such a terrible experience. Terrible out experience. There. It should be fun for your family. I was just. I gave a speech the other day. I was with an NFL owner. I'll, he'll be named nameless. It wasn't Snyder. It was. I said, "What's wrong with you guys? You, I mean, cut the cost of a beer in half. Cut the cost of hot dogs in half. You can't have families go and cost you a couple hundred bucks to have some beers and a hot dog. What is wrong with it's you crazy. folks? Make it a good family experience, and it's not a good experience. I mean, it takes forever to get there. Especially, I live in Northern Virginia. I mean, people just don't go, and there's nothing around. Well, that's there's the other part. There's literally nothing. it's, it's like, like a wasteland ghost of, town. Right, I mean, there's there are houses, there. but there's no retail. There's no restaurants. It's like is that and getting out of it's miserable. Yes, that's true. Uh, you could be stuck in there for, you know, come out of a concert. A buddy of mine uh, told me the other day, it took him an hour and 40 minutes to get out of the parking lot. And you can't stop somewhere and go have a beer or no. bite right. to eat because there's nothing around there while the traffic Well, subsides. luckily they've been so bad that you can leave at the third quarter yeah. <laughs> so you can beat the traffic. <laughs> yeah. They got to fix it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's just. I um, hope they move it back. I, you know, look, I, I'm. What do you I, like? I want it to be back in D.C. That's yeah. where the team belongs. I remember so many. I mean, you know, I'm sure you went to RFK games. It's just. Oh, yeah. You used to go the to the Tune In or Hawk and Dove or. Just. Yes. It was such a. <laughs> it was a just such a, a great experience. Yeah. And it'll You've be been great. in the Tune In recently? No. I, I haven't. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the best burgers in town. Great cold beer. Oh, so yummy. Yeah. Oh, I love their God. fries. Yeah. Great fries. Good fries. One of the oldest bars up in Capitol Hill. Yeah. Nothing like it. Quite the quite the establishment bar. It's yeah. been around for a long time. I've had many late nights there. Um, well, Governor, <laughs> any shocking? Any, I know. Yeah. I know. In a way. But like you know, maybe twenty years ago, yeah. when I was a lot younger. Not not recently. <laughs> not recently. Um, Governor, any parting thoughts? Any final words you want to get in before? Um, yeah, let me just say, off? listen. Th- first, thanks for having me on the, Thank on the you new for podcast. This and is great. Thank listen, you. I think our future is very bright. I mentioned the ninety-two million. You got to remember, uh, people woke up the next day in Virginia. They saw in 17, which was the first election after the Trump election, historic pickups for us. 18, the big wins and the governors and the and the house. I mean, biggest since 1974. We as a party, we have got. Listen, we're going to have a tough primary, but in the end, we got to come together. We have got to beat Donald Trump. We do. We cannot take four more years. What he will do to the world. What he will do to Europe. You know, Putin won the last election. He sure did. He did. And we have got to, when this is done, we got to come together because people, 80% of Americans actually agree with us on the issues. Yep. And, yeah. you know, let's stay together. Let's get through it. And please, let's be joyful warriors. Amen be happy. to that. And people want government to work. They want it to work. That's all they want. They want the kids to have a high-paying job. They want a road so it doesn't take you two hours to see a ball game. They want a cheap... <laughs> Effective health care. They're not asking right. for much. Nope. Just want it to work. Yeah. Well, Governor, thank you Thanks. so Great much for joining everybody. us today. Thanks, we really Andrew. appreciate Thanks. it. Thank you. You were amazing, Governor. Thank, thank you. you for I joining. loved it. This was so much fun. Let me just say, finally, I love the job as Governor. Why? 
There's no other job where you literally can get out of bed every single day and help people. You have tremendous executive authority, like my restoration of rights. No surprise, I had a record number of pardons of letting people, you know, people committed of a small felony getting two life sentences in 150 years. Actually pardon that individual, believe it or not. Um, pardon a woman going out the door, and I just talked to her the other day. Oh, my goodness, 38 years for a small amount of cocaine years ago. Uh, she's now successful. That's why I love being governor. And people always say to me, you know, you ever want to run for the center? It's not me. I'm, I'm very honest. I do the things I'm good at. I would mm-hmm. not be good sitting around with 99 other people. No. Talking. I mean, you I would. Like but action. But, yeah, yeah that's why me. we want to see you run for the Executive. Center. Thank you. Yes, yes. You'd be good down the street, I think. Me It'd be too. fun. Yeah. Boy. Well, we're going to be keeping hey, an eye on March say, 31st. Finally, if he gets this national emergency on the wall, which I don't think the courts will help, but if they do, great. You know what I'd do? As president, right off the bat, national emergency. Opiate crisis, national emergency climate change. Right off the bat, national emergency on guns. Ban assault weapons. Background checks for everybody. So on the other hand, I'd be excited about this. I hope he, in one side of me, I hope he gets this. We'll have a lot of national national emergency. Are you kidding me? I know. Every day we'd be having something exciting. Starts quite a uh, a trend. That's the type of toughness (laughs) this party needs. That's right. And fun. We'd have the most fun you've ever had. What's the name of your first Could you imagine? Uh, what a party. What a party. Could yeah. you imagine the St. Patrick's Day party at the White oh House? Oh, my goodness. Well, I, as someone who's been to your St. Patrick's Day yeah. parties at the governor's mansion, were they I great? can only imagine they were fantastic. Well, and I'll say you were down for my going away party. We had I over 1,000 people in the backyard of the mansion, and it went till 4.30 a.m. You know, this was my Early final. night for you guys, huh? Well, I tell you, <laughs> that, that mansion had built in 1813. It had never seen a night like that. It had not. Dancing. And, and, and we were we were making sure every last minute that the governor had access right. to the mansion was utilized. Yeah. So you can still see you, you can still see my fingernails on the walls of the, <laughs> as they pulled me out the door. <laughs> oh, man. It was great. It was great. Well, Governor, well, thank, thank you, you so much. Great. We appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. For Adrian Elrod, this is Doug Thornell. Thank you for listening to The Electables, and we'll see you next time.